Now, boys and girls, I'm going to give you an assignment. I want you to write a theme. Project-based competency-based education, online and hybrid classes, demand every disruption of global education systems in history. I'm Jimmy Leonard. This is Kicking It New School. Writing for math people. One of the most enduring mysteries in mathematics is the definitive proof of the Riemann hypothesis. This is a conjecture first proposed in 1859 that the Riemann zeta function has all non-trivial zeros at complex numbers with a real part of one half. And if you have no idea what I just said, listen to Professor Edward Frankel explain it in this number file video from 2014. The way I explained it, it sounds like an esoteric problem. But actually, in this case, there is more to this than meets the eye. He also explained that this um, behavior of his zeta function has a direct uh, bearing on the distribution of prime numbers which is absolutely astonishing. Because if you think about zeta function, something has to do with complex numbers and with analytic continuation and so on and so forth. So it's a particular branch of mathematics which is called complex analysis. But prime numbers live in a different branch of mathematics in uh, in number theory. And it is a big surprise that actually the two things are very closely connected. But this relation that Riemann found is predicated on the Riemann hypothesis. So you're following this, right? Maybe, maybe not. The Riemann hypothesis involves an analysis of this weird, confusing equation that sort of inexplicably has all these far-reaching implications for everything from the distribution of prime numbers to big fundamental questions in modern number theory. It's like a real version of Groundhog's Day. Sure, it's logically absurd that a groundhog seeing its shadow would have any bearing whatsoever on the weather patterns, but imagine that somebody could prove it does have an effect. Wouldn't that be important to know? And that's not even a great example, because the Riemann hypothesis describes some relationships that we can actually observe, even though we can't prove the connection. It's like how when I joke to a friend that I wish I could escape my present reality into a virtual world, and then later that evening I see an Instagram ad for an Oculus Rift, I can't exactly prove that my phone has been listening to me all day, but I'm pretty dang sure it's been listening to me all day. And just knowing that has a significant impact on how I see the world. So that's the Riemann hypothesis. All these things that shouldn't be related to each other are related to each other, and we observe that happening, and quite mysteriously, it has to do with this Riemann zeta function. Solving the Riemann hypothesis is one of the famed Millennium Prizes in mathematics. If anyone can prove or disprove this theory, they win a million dollars. And it's not like no one's tried. Brilliant people have been modeling this and experimenting for a long time. Even within the past few years, there was a physicist from Hyderabad, India, who claimed to have proved this equation, and he slapped his evidence up on the internet, and his stuff has had thousands of downloads, as smart people with 
maybe a little bit too much time on their hands, have just poured over his research, all just to see if it holds up. As of this recording, he hasn't officially been credited with a definitive proof, but who knows? Uh, At least the story exemplifies the obsession. Finding a satisfactory explanation of this hypothesis is like a holy grail in mathematics. So why am I talking about this? On my website, I have a spot to ask questions about education or homeschool, and I've been an English teacher and a writing tutor for a long time, and one of the questions I get over and over again is a parent saying, my son is more of a math person. How can I make him interested in writing? And it could be my daughter, too. Actually, just earlier this month, I had a conversation with a mom who described her daughter as a math kid, or maybe it was having a math brain is what she said. So it goes to boys and girls, but it's this pervasive idea that there is this segment of the human population that has math brains or thinks in mathematical terms. They're all left brains. They can do concrete thinking, but abstract ideas are just a mental implosion. They can do differential equations. They can do theoretical physics. They might even have this fascination over questions like the proof of the Riemann hypothesis, but they're apparently incapable of writing a five-paragraph essay about a book. So what do we do? First of all, if you can't tell from my tone, I hate labeling any kid as a math person. And I'm not just singling out math here. I hate saying that someone is an English person, a science person, a music person, whatever. I am of the persuasion that every child possesses multiple intelligences and every child can master core competencies in each school subject if they just approach the material in a way that makes sense to them. But then, of course, the mathematician comes along and says, oh, well, that's because you're a right-brained English person who's fundamentally incapable of seeing the world in absolutes. Then I say, yeah, well, you know, that's just like your opinion, man. There are probably about five people who both listen to this podcast and will get that reference. But regardless of what I think, the perception of a so-called math person is significant, and it is prevalent in our culture. And there are plenty of English-loving kids who say they hate math, and that's a soapbox for another time. But let me just say, there is a non-zero real part of a complex number of kids who think only in equations and proportions and probabilities And they would rather spend an hour coding in Python than one minute talking about the ethical motivations of the snake from Ricky Tikki Tavi. Okay, I know it's actually a cobra in Ricky Tikki Tavi, and there is a programming language called Cobra, so I could have said that. But would people still get the joke if I said that? I don't know. I just didn't want to take that risk. Anyway, a lot of kids like math and hate writing. Although in pop culture, we often characterize it as this subject that nobody likes, that's not true. In 2018, Texas Instruments conducted a survey that found a whopping 46% of students either said they like or they love math. And for those of you who aren't math people, that's like almost one out of every two students saying they like or they love math. And yes, by the way, I did say Texas Instruments, as in that Texas Instruments, the company that manufactured the TI-83 graphing calculator that you've had lying in a desk drawer for the last 10 years. 
Sure, it doesn't matter that free apps on your phone are easier to use and have more features, and this entire industry is just a corporate conspiracy that maintains a monopolistic chokehold over the world of standardized testing by limiting students to 20-year-old technology instead of fostering a knowledge of writing simple routines and macros. But that TI-83, the one with the little case that slides up and down, that's as much a part of your identity as your varsity jacket or your class ring. You don't just casually throw that stuff away. Anyway... F of X, where X equals a bogus math survey by a biased calculator company, still does have a grain of truth in it, which is that we have a diversity of student interest inside any subject matter. There will always be math kids who don't want to write essays about Shakespeare. And to be fair, I don't think Shakespeare liked calculus. I just have a hunch. So we often put up these walls between language arts and mathematics. Everybody's fine doing this cross-curricular thing if it's math and science, because those go together, or if it's history and language arts, because those go together. But few are daring enough to combine math and language arts. And I'm not talking about technical writing, okay? There's this whole career field of translating technobabble into common sense English, but I'm going back to that original question, That question of what do I do with my mathematically-minded son or daughter who hates writing? And perhaps, unexpectedly, my answer is to make writing mathematical. So, time out for a second. Some of you who know me well might be thinking, wait, are you just talking about a formulaic five-paragraph essay? I thought you hated five-paragraph essays. And I kind of do. I've talked about that on other shows. But sometimes, okay, hear me out, sometimes it is appropriate to give these formulas for paragraph creation. Especially to younger ages, this is actually a really successful way to teach expository writing. You start with a topic sentence. Then you give your first quote from the book. Then you explain it. Then you give your second quote from the book. Then you explain it, and so on. Yes, from a teacher's standpoint, it does create these painfully cookie-cutter essays. But for students, concrete structure is a necessary precursor to the more free-flowing compositions that we hope they arrive at in their later high school and college years. But here's the thing. In my experience, those so-called math kids are still going to hate that essay. They will get good grades on it. Believe me, any kid who knows how to plug and play with a physics formula can follow the formula on a high school essay too. But as a teacher or as a homeschool parent, you will recognize these kids because they turn in these dry-as-toast, absolutely apathetic, cringeworthy stale essays that you just have to give a good grade to because it technically meets the requirement. But there's no personality. There's no flavor. There's no passion. There's no soul. So I think when people ask me the question, how do I get my math student interested in writing, it's really more than just how do I get them to do an essay? Because we know this works. We know that we can just give them this essay formula and they'll do it and they'll grumble the whole time. But like I said, you know, if the student has those right extra motivations, they will turn this in and get a good grade on it. So how do we actually take it to that level where there is some personality or passion or soul? How can we get someone to write with the kind of excitement that I had at the beginning about something mathematical or even something interesting to them? 
Well, here's the secret. I don't believe that these so-called math kids are incapable of passion for writing. They just need the right kind of challenge. Often the bigger problem with the so-called math kids frustration in an English class is that literary analysis thrives in these nuances and uncertainties. I can't even tell you how many times I've heard a kid just rage about those standardized test questions that say choose the best answer. Isn't that an opinion? How can someone say that one is the best answer if two of these are right? Well, child, it's because there is such thing as a best opinion. Don't believe me? You will learn this someday when your wife says, Honey, do you think we should paint the living room cotton, ivory, eggshell, or macaroon cream? Yes, they are four identical shades of white, but they're somehow still a best answer, and if you don't say what she's already thinking, you got it wrong. So instead of framing analysis as this guessing game, the how do you interpret the author's use of symbolism, let's flip it around. Let kids solve a problem. The framework becomes not interpretation, but more like let's look for clues. It's actually just inverting the way that we usually ask the question in a language arts class. Instead of saying, here's a raven, what do you think it means? Say, many people interpret this as being about death. What symbol can you find that would support that idea? Now it's not a guessing game. Now it's a treasure hunt. So what about topics? How-to essays. Perfect for the so-called math brain student. A process essay is what some people call it. And I don't necessarily mean how to solve a math equation in words. We are sharing the skills in a different discipline, not just creating a tedious task that would eventually make kids hate math and English, but we can still think about something with a more applied scientific crossover. One topic that comes to mind would be how to survive on Mars. This is an opportunity for students to engage with some research, to think about some problem-solving skills, and then to put that into a written format where they have to explain step-by-step step what's going to happen. A great creative assignment here is to solve a mystery and then present the evidence. It's stretching those analytical muscles again. One cool idea for a homeschool project is to listen to a true crime podcast or watch a true crime documentary and then write an essay saying what you think really happened and why. So when I say this, viewer discretion advised, obviously, you definitely want to preview these things so you aren't forcing your kids into a bad episode of Criminal Minds. Uh, when I'm doing this, I like to focus on theft, so stolen arts, bank heist, that sort of thing. Just, I like to stay away from kidnappings and murders, not because I want to shelter kids, but I just don't want kids dwelling on that stuff unnecessarily if I'm going to ask them to write an essay about what they think happened. But if you do want to put this into practice, I can save you a little bit of time. One idea is to look up the Isabella Stewart Gardner Museum in Boston. This one is having a cultural moment right now. There's a show on Netflix about it. There's a lot of stuff online. Uh, don't take my word for it. Just listen to this trailer. Isabella Stewart Gardner Museum was a artist's delight. Millions of dollars worth of artwork. Rembrandt, Degas, Vermeer. St. Patty's Day, 1990. Two men dressed as police officers show up at the door. And they say very dramatically, gentlemen, this is a robbery.
There were 13 works taken. Most important, the storm on the Sea of Galilee. It's the only Rembrandt seascape in existence. This was huge, not just locally, but internationally. In Dublin, Solon art was used by the IRA as an international currency. In Boston, Whitey Bulger provided the IRA with weapons. The painting could be in the Middle East. Japan. South America. What? It's mind-blowing. Whoa. What happened? Who done it? I want to know Riemann's hypothesis about that. Although curiously, every frame in the heist was found on a critical line with a real part of one half. If you understood that joke, please let's be friends. Anyway, so beyond the Isabella Stewart Gardner Museum in Boston or heists like that, what else could we do? Persuasive topics. They work well. The math brain, the so-called math brain, is the brain of wanting to prove something. And persuade on an interest or a current event that they actually like. Kids choose the topic. Don't shove classic literature down a kid's throat when there are so many other options to learn expository composition. Really, if the question is, how can I make my math-oriented kid like English? My answer is that you need to make English oriented to them. It's a lot easier to tailor a curriculum to a student's interest and inclinations than it is to fundamentally change the way a student thinks and try to squeeze that round peg into a square hole or a cylinder into a cubic depression because geometry. Yeah, you thought I was done with terrible math jokes? Mm -mm, I'm just getting started. But probably the last and most important thing that I want to say on this topic, in addition to these ideas for assignments, is do not, and I repeat, do not play into this false dichotomy of math kids and English kids. I am not saying that everyone needs to love writing essays. They don't. I am not saying that everyone needs to love math. They don't. It is fine and normal to have a least favorite subject in school. But what we can't allow is this negative mindset of, I can't do this because I don't have that type of brain. Deny that with every ounce of energy that you have. Asking, how can I make my math kid interested in writing is sort of the wrong question. Really, we should be saying, how can I steer my kid to write about something that interests them? And if the thing that interests them is something like, proving Riemann's hypothesis, something that maybe a so-called non-math person would never choose in a million years, so be it. That's fine. Let them explore and research and write about a topic that they enjoy and give them the structures that encourage those skills of analysis and processing and looking for clues because that will foster the skills they need to be successful in a language arts environment while we're meeting them on their turf, so to speak. So I hope that answers the question, at least in a small way, of how can I make my math student interested in writing? If you have other questions, please hit me up. The website is jimmyleonard.com slash podcast. Hey, Kicking at New School is my hobby. It's my side hustle. I'm also a curriculum designer. I'm an educator. So if something's vibing with you in this episode and you want to discuss some strategies or even a custom curriculum plan, I'm here to listen. Again, the website, jimmyleonard.com slash podcast. Find me there. Kicking It New School is a podcast about challenging some of the longstanding assumptions in education and exploring how we can reach this current generation. I'd love to hear your comments. Tell me what you want to hear about next. 
It's such a joy to be with you. Thank you for listening. Until next time, I'm kicking it new school.